Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأبتثم من لساني يفكه قولي أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأشهد أن محمدا أبده ورسوله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته my dear brothers and sisters في Islam and a warm welcome to this week's Friday Circle before I continue can everyone who's logged in can you like and share this video so that others can get involved with today's discussion, inshallah. The circle is organized by members of Hizb al-Tahrir. We are a global Islamic political party working to re-establish the Islamic way of life via the Islamic Khilafah based on the method of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the Muslim lands. Inshallah, we will be continuing with the new theme that we started a few weeks ago where the Friday circle will investigate why Islam is the perfect alternative system to the current corrupt capitalist way of life. Ramadan 2020, lockdown Ramadan, during a time where many people lost loved ones, lost their jobs and businesses, the Muslim community in uh, in the UK gave a massive £150 million towards charity. In 2015, the World Bank estimated the annual global zakat contribution was worth between £152 billion uh, pounds to about 763 billion pounds subhanallah now even though these massive amounts of money have been donated just by the muslim ummah many are still asking why poverty is still alive and kicking and if anything covid-19 uh, the, the covid-19 pandemic will increase poverty globally the world bank estimates that between 40 to 60 million people will fall into the into extreme poverty which is living on under uh, $1.90 a day by the end of this year. Today, alhamdulillah, we have Brother Tayyab who will be discussing why giving charity is not the same as eradicating poverty. Brother Tayyab, jazakallah for joining us. Pray you're well, bro. Barakallah I am well, thank you, brother. How are you? Okay? Alhamdulillah, very good. Jazakallah for asking. Uh, inshallah, Brother Tayyab, we'll be talking for approximately 20 to 25 minutes. And once he finishes his discussion, we will then move on to the questions and answer section. Now, uh, the last few weeks, it's not going to notice the interaction from you guys, our esteemed guests and viewers, has been nothing short of being phenomenal. So let's keep that going, inshallah. So please get involved in the discussion. Get others to join in the, the discussion. All I ask from you is to keep everything relevant to the topic at hand, inshallah. And on that note, Brother Tayyab, over to you, inshallah. Barakallah fi. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the Musannaf Ibn, of Ibn Abi Shayba, in the Hadith narrated by Abdullah Ibn Masood radiallahu an, on charity, it was stated that a monk, a priest, worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his temple for 60 years with full devotion. 60 years without fail. He then developed a relationship with a woman. 
and concluded in committing zina, adultery. This zina they committed for six nights. And after six nights, he became regretful and fled the area. He fled his masjid in remorse and guilt. He went to another area, a completely unknown area to him. He found another place of worship, a masjid. There he remained inside the masjid for three days. For three days without eating anything, only seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, repenting for his six days of sin. Some people noticed him. They saw and heard him crying and they felt sorry for him. They offered him a loaf of bread. So as he takes the bread, he breaks, into, he breaks the bread into two halves and he gives one half to the man on his right and he gives the other half to the man on his, de- on his left. At that point, at that specific point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the angel of death to terminate his life. And his worship and his deeds, his good deeds of worship for 60 years were placed on, this, on one side of the scale. And then the six nights in which he committed zina were placed on the other side of the scale. And the six nights of zina outweighed, outweighed the 60 years of worship. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed the loaf of bread. He placed the loaf of bread that he gave in charity just before he died on the scales. And that loaf of bread outweighed the six nights of zina. Subhanallah, he was forgiven right before his death because he gave sadaqah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discounted his 60 years of worship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed from his uh, record of deeds the zina for six days. And he was forgiven because he gave two pieces of bread in sadaqah, one to the person on his right and one to the person on his left, even though he hadn't eaten for three days. With all this information, brothers, sisters, we... The Muslims, we are an amazing ummah. We are a blessed ummah. This ummah is willing to spend in charity even today. So let's see how Islam grapples poverty. A sincere leader with the highest levels of taqwa, with political shrewdness and competent in achieving results. Wallahi, he can make marvelous things happen. In front of him, he has a mighty ummah with the greatest potential on earth. But this ummah has been enslaved by foreign thoughts, foreign ideas, foreign occupations, foreign systems for over a hundred years. And this Khalifa, he sees tens, no, he sees hundreds of millions of Muslims. Hundreds of millions of Muslims forced into poverty. And he sees, he sees the need to reverse the situation of the Ummah. So one of his steps, one of his policy 
uh, initiatives must be to fill the bellies of the poor and feed them. And one of his uh, policy initiatives will be to collect zakat from the Muslims under his authority. This zakat, brothers and sisters, is also called wealth tax on savings and surplus capital, not on income. This zakat is on property, it's on gold, it's on business products, and it's on wealth over and above the needs of a person. So with this zakat that he will collect, inshallah, from all the ummah food who, are, who are capable, food packs will be made available quickly and without delay. Why did 12 million children in Yemen have to die due to starvation and famine? With a further 12 million children in Yemen today starving from malnutrition. All this whilst Muhammad bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi he buys a fake Leonardo da Vinci painting for $450 million. Can you believe that? In the midst of this Ummah's crisis, the famous couple, the Syrian YouTubers, who very recently spent £74,000 on a gender reveal party. A gender reveal party is when you call people and your family and friends and you surprise them with the gender of your child. And sometimes the mother doesn't know and sometimes the father of the baby doesn't know. But Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah, this is the state of our affairs. 74000 pounds and they displayed it on the Burj Al Kharifa skyscraper and they got 16 million views and in the midst of all these views the Muslims in the Middle East they were furious and they said at a time when our people are living in camps our people are being killed by poverty hunger alienation this couple gave a loud party in Burj Al Khalifa to find out to find out the gender of their child. They were furious. They were disgusted. But a statement by the shameless owners of Burj Khalifa puts it into perspective. It shows their capitalist, shameful, blinded view of the world and the Ummah's affair. They put out a post saying, the big news just got bigger than the world's tallest building. So the news is bigger than the world's tallest building. And uh, the, the lights were up to reveal the biggest gender reveal ever. Congratulations. So this is the shameless response of the billionaires, the capitalists, those people who own the gold illegally. So how does Islam resolve the issue of poverty? There is a report by a PhD scientist, Dr. Nazila, and it's titled The Contribution of Muslim Charities uh, in the West to the International Development of Charities. And in it, like the, the chair, the, the, the presenter mentioned, in it she stated, 
that currently the Muslim Ummah gives around $150 billion in zakat every year. And we know, we know, it's a known fact that many Muslims don't trust their corrupt governments with their zakat. So the numbers are very modest to say the least. Imagine a sincere Muslim ruler, a khalifa, a sultan, Amir al-Mu'mineen. Imagine the legitimate ruler winning over the hearts of the entire Muslim ummah and taking their zakat to feed the poor, to purify themselves, just like the monk was able to, just before he died, purify himself. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him for the worst sins he ever committed, even though he had been worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actively for 60 years prior. Just imagine the Muslim ummah. What would the numbers be? If you had a sincere leader, winning the hearts and the minds of his ummah, how much is the cost do you think they'd give on their wealth, which is 2.5 annually? Would it be $300 billion? Would it be $500 billion? Would it be a trillion dollars? Every year? Each year? And counting? Subhanallah. Wallahi. That would be one great step in eradicating poverty. And I swear by Allah. Wallahi. Uqsimu billahi ladheem. This ummah is kind. This ummah needs motivation. This ummah, she needs confidence. This ummah has a divine mission, a noble purpose. So we have to get the bellies of the poor, impoverished, full to embark upon the Islamic project. Remember, Islam promotes rapid wealth circulation in society. Let me cite a very quick case study that was done in Belgium. Belgium has a population of 12 million people. The ING Bank estimates that if the Muslim wealth tax, if the Muslim zakat was ever to be applied on the people of Belgium alone, 12 million people, they would collect annually 28 billion euros. Annually, 25 billion pounds with a population of 12 million people. So subhanallah, it is viable for the Khilafah state. It is viable for the Khilafah state to feed the 40 million Muslims alone in Pakistan. 40 million Muslims in Pakistan alone who live under $2 a day. It is viable for the Khalifa to feed them. Not to make them wealthy, not to make them millionaires, just to feed them. And subhanallah, that would be a mighty, mighty, blessed investment for the whole ummah. Because, I swear by Allah Almighty that Pakistan is amongst the absolute best places on earth for a thriving Islamic society, for the nucleus of the Islamic Khilafah to be born. Because Pakistan has all the ingredients of becoming a powerhouse, a powerhouse, an industrial base for the nearing Islamic Khilafah, inshallah. Did you know it's a fact that in the Uthmani Khilafah, they would put what they called sadaqah stone pots all over the Ottoman state. 
a few centuries ago. They called the Sadaqa stone pots of Ottoman Turkey. Google it. The rulers of Turkey, they saw the potential in the Ummah and it took away a lot of stress from the rulers. They set up stone pots all over the all over Turkey, in the streets, in the marketplaces, and the masajids. They set them up everywhere. And what's interesting is people who wanted to give sadaqah, people who wanted to give sadaqah would give it. And nobody would know. And people who wanted to take sadaqah would take it. And nobody would know. So nobody would know whether they were giving or taking sadaqah if people saw them putting their hands in. This is the, the honor. This is the, the, the mercy that was provided to them uh, in the form of these uh, uh, charity pots. And subhanallah, this became the trend in the ummah hundreds of years ago. And these pots, these same pots were found all over the place. They found them in Jerusalem. They found them in Tunisia. They found them in Macedonia. Whilst here in the UK, during the COVID-19 crisis, people, families, children, single mothers are humiliated with tokens, tokens and universal credit. Where families running out of, few, uh, out of food are queuing up outside food banks, where food banks are becoming empty. Even football stars are pleading with Boris Johnson to continue feeding school children. So our history is littered with goodness. And inshallah, our future shall be so. Back to Islam's vision for eradicating poverty. Let's say the Khalifa, he raises a trillion dollars or a billion dinars. The state of the poor people under a sincere Khalifa cannot be that they remain poor for long. He would have to come up with an idea to empower them to become independent. We can't have them living on handouts for long periods because the hand that gives is better than the hand that receives. So now the Khalifa, the Khilafa, the state, the apparatus, the state institutions have to find a way to get the impoverished and the poor on their feet. Just a side note, brothers. Wealth distribution in capitalism is their biggest failure. Their philosophy is that we live in a world with limited resources and people have unlimited wants. And then they create the conditions of consumerism where people want to upgrade everything. People want to upgrade their houses, their cars, their phones, their clothes, their laptops every single year and credit cards are made available. Usurious credit cards with interest debilitating interest are made available to the masses to burden them, burden them with more and more debt, leading to misery and uncertainty. That's why today 40 million Americans live in poverty in the US. That's why today 6,000 middle-aged men are committing suicide in the UK every year and rising because of debt burdens and financial worries. 
all the capitalists care about brothers and sisters is manufacturing products to sell to become ever richer and only islam only islam can rid the world of poverty because islam's philosophy is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's philosophy being that the limited resources from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the dunya are ample to meet the needs the basic needs of all the people so now the state needs to think ahead we can't have millions of muslims on handouts let's give them an opportunity to own to develop the land to eat and have surplus to sell feed their bellies grow so there's a case study another case study another fact pakistan the most prospective the most the best potential for an islamic powerhouse an islamic nucleus for the islamic khilafa currently in pakistan 1 million feudal landowners 1 million they control over 70% of the rural land in pakistan the agricultural land they have they control millions of hectares of arable land and many of these feudal landlords they inherited these lands unfairly from the british empire for past loyalties under the british raj this land has since been used to harm the muslims and to benefit the capitalists to benefit the global markets to benefit gnp which is just a statistical lie so these people these feudal landlords they rent their land out to the people to farm for global products and subhanallah can you believe that they grow products and they sell them abroad to the harm of their own people islam favors providing people with the means to generate their own wealth so the feudal landlords will have these huge fields this land this 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 agricultural uh, uh, massive uh, huge fields they'll be confiscated from them and they'll be given to people to common people to poor people to skilled people in farming to grow for themselves where the benefit will eventually reach the whole society because once the people start to grow the common people they grow the fields maintain the fields they'll feed themselves they'll feed their families any surplus they can start to trade with other farmers from who are growing other crops other fe- uh, uh, other products other produce other fruit and then when there is surplus in society generally inshallah there will be it has to happen it's inevitable especially with the fields in pakistan in the punjab especially then the khalifa can make a decision to now sell land uh, sell crops sell fruit on the international market no problem once his own people once the legitimate owners of these lands they solve their own problems so the feudal landlords they will have their lands confiscated by the khalifa number 1 number 2 let's say there is a sincere legitimate owner of these lands and let's say he owns hectares upon hectares of arable land he himself he does not escape islam's problem uh, islam's ability of solving poverty islam doesn't mess about so if he's a legitimate owner of the land he has to employ people to farm his land he has to employ them and if he neglects his land for 3 years then the land will be confiscated from him 
So he has the motivation. He has the drive to employ people on his land and pay them a salary. Did you know currently in Pakistan, in Pakistan, 44% of the entire labor force is employed in agriculture. And did you know that they work like donkeys? They are oppressed. They are mistreated like peasantry. This will also have to stop. The Khalifa will strengthen their status. Landowners will not be allowed to sell or export, export or exploit their own people locally. And they will not be allowed to sell or export globally unless the society is meeting its local agricultural needs. That's how Islam solves the problem. And that's common sense. And that's a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no economist and no policymaker can beat the policies of Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's policies are binding upon every single Muslim because it's a matter of Jannah and Jahannam. Right from your next door neighbor to the Wali al-Amr to the Imam of the Masjid and the head of state, the Khalifa, they are all accountable in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's eyes. The World Bank and the diseased IMF, they forced Pakistan to implement agricultural policies that harm the local people for global markets, for global growth. They, Pakistan currently grows wheat, cotton, sugar, rice, mangoes, and they ship them out of the country. Whilst their people are impoverished, millions of people, 40 million people living under $2 a day. And you, the feudal landlords, you're making millions. This is harmful Islam. It's forbidden. This will stop and this will be confiscated of you. And it will be reversed because you have the best agricultural lands in the Punjab. You sell on the global markets while millions go hungry. Makes no sense at all. Currently, Pakistan produces in the climate of capitalism, in the most one of the most corrupt countries in the world, Pakistan currently produces 20 million metric tons of wheat, more than the whole of Africa put together, and nearly as much as North, Afri uh, North America, 20 million metric tons of wheat. Imagine these lands to local people given to them to produce locally. You will strike poverty in the stomach. Subhanallah. This is how Islam deals with the issue of helping eradicate poverty. And no charity has that authority. No charity has the state apparatus. No charity has the legitimacy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do what the Khalifa, the state, can do. Another policy initiative that could be adopted by the Khalifa. Well, it has to be adopted because it's fard. Hoarded wealth, hoarding wealth is forbidden. And any wealth which is hoarded will be confiscated. You wealthy ones who are so rich, you have the capacity to keep using your money to boost the economy. In Islam, Allah gives you that right. Become billionaires but allow your money to be free to society. Do not hoard your wealth. You must boost the economy by creating jobs. And this will give the state, the Khilafah, the ability to develop greater industry and greater infrastructure. Why? Because just like the people of China today, the Ummah, the Muslims, they'll have a higher standard of living 
and they wanted to explore new technologies and new ways of living for the betterment of mankind. And that's natural. And if your money sits idle, you billionaires, you hoarders, this is haram. It is haram. It is forbidden. It's not allowed. And the Lord of the universe has threatened you with jahannam. And you will also lose your wealth and it will be used to benefit the Muslims. So anybody who's got billions upon billions of uh, amounts of gold, silver, etc., 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 it's in your interest to keep your wealth circulated in society so everybody benefits, including you. You know, I was reading an article and some people, some billionaires boast that the money that they have earned that the money that is rightfully theirs, it will last them a hundred lifetimes. And they are right. The only problem is they only have one life, not a hundred. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encourages the billionaires in Islam to keep the money circulating. Today's billionaires, in a report, in a, uh, in, in a magazine that talks on economics, etc., a few hundred billionaires, they are hoarding, they are sitting on 1.7 trillion, not billion, 1.7 trillion dollars. They are withholding that from the people. They are withholding that from the job sector. They are withholding that from the economic growth in society at large. And remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying to Qarun in the Quran, we caused, and this is a translation of the meaning in English. So we caused the earth to swallow him and his dwelling place. Then he had no group or party to help him against Allah. Nor was he one of those who could save himself. So you might think in theory that you're living for a hundred lifetimes or you got enough wealth to spend for a hundred lifetimes. But when your time's up, your time's up. Islam works on eradicating poverty in real time, radically, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most bountiful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us these principles. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not run out of resources from his bounty. So the rich people will be prevented from hoarding their wealth. And therefore, they will have to spend that wealth to make more wealth. And in making more wealth, they will boost the economy and make people more wealthier and the state more healthier, more industrialized and economically stable. They will need workers. They will need properties. They will need lands. They will need machineries. They will need skilled labor. So subhanAllah, under Islam, the economy is alive. It's real. It's something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set for the Muslims. Subhanallah, the most bountiful, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most resourceful, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most wealthy Lord of the universe, brothers and sisters, has given us a system that dwarfs capitalism. This system helps in providing wealth to the impoverished, the poor, the needy, the weak. What were the statements of the Sahaba, Ridwanullahi Ajma'in, when they became and uh, when, when, they, when they were given the bayah, when they became the rulers, they said, I stand with the poor and I stand with the weak against 
the wealthy against the powerful. You will not find me with the powerful. You will not find me with the wealthy. You will find me with the poor and the impoverished. That was the root. That was the root. That was the root source of their responsibility to make, ensure the basic necessities upon their peoples. Brothers, sisters, Islam dwarfs capitalism in providing wealth to the people. And the basic provisions in Islam are secured and the luxuries are made available to everybody who cares to take them and whatever is in his risk, subhanAllah. I'm not an economist, but just to recap, a few simple Islamic injunctions when turned into policy objectives by statesmen and sincere Islamic politicians who are working with an Islamic party to tackle to tackle the issues of the ummah, subhanallah, poverty will definitely be eradicated or poverty will definitely be reduced or poverty will definitely be tackled, inshallah ta'ala. So I only mentioned four policy objectives. I mentioned the zakah, I mentioned the sadaqah, I mentioned the land distribution, and I mentioned preventing the hoarding of wealth. Subhanallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help this ummah to realize that she is above and bigger than just a cause of charity. Asking people to give money, go to small organizations, and these small organizations, unfortunately, because they are restricted and limited, they have to pay their own people, their own people who, who are working in these charities, money from the charity. SubhanAllah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make the ummah see beyond the lens that we've been given, that the kuffar, they prevent us from looking beyond the horizon and looking at the world as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given it to us in the Quran and with regards to our policy objectives. Jazakallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. Ameen. Alhamdulillah. Uh, to Brother Thayyab for that enlightening talk. Um, there's no doubt whatsoever that charity is an uh, extremely noble act in Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the glorious Quran, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, إِنَّ الْمُصَدِّقِينَ وَالْمُصَدِّقَاتِ وَأَقْرَضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا يُضَاعَفُ لَهُمْ وَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ كَرِيمٌ In translation, indeed, the men who practice charity and the women who practice charity and they who have loaned Allah a goodly loan, it will be multiplied for them and they, they will have a noble reward. In Surah Al-Hadid, verse 18. Now, the way capitalism is based and run and operates, poverty will never be eradicated because the powers to be will never allow that due to their own personal greed. Whereas in Islam, under the Khilafah, the Khalif cannot rest easy until he knows every citizen's stomach is full. They have a roof over their heads, they are fully clothed, and all their basic needs are met to the highest of standards. Inshallah, let's move on to the questions and answers section. Uh, alhamdulillah, uh, again, Jazakallah here for uh, tuning in and uh, Walaikum Salaam to all, everyone who's commented. Uh, Brother Sayyab, we have our first question from Brother Majid Razak, who's asking, do you think that one of the main problems with this issue of tackling poverty is that Muslims uh, look at this from the perspective of individuals doing their bit rather than seeing themselves as a collective? Can you imagine the potential we will have then? Yeah, subhanAllah. I, I, I would just say that um, when the Muslims give zakah, 
when the Muslim gives sadaqah, whether it's for the masajid or whether it's locally or whether it's internationally, I think the Muslims do view themselves as a collective ummah. The problem is that the ummah doesn't understand their way, the responsibility that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala burdened upon the state, the ruler, the legislation, the statesman. That is the issue I think that lies at fault here. I think the ummah generally do view themselves as one ummah. They just don't see the full picture. They don't understand the umbrella has an Amir al-Mu'mineen. And the Amir al-Mu'mineen is responsible from the sharia to distribute the zakah. Jazakallah here for that. We've got um, we've got a comment from Brother Mutasim Sharif, and it's quite a long one, so I'm going to read that out, inshallah. Um, Muslims give hundreds of millions of pounds to charity every year, and alhamdulillah, it's a very rewarding act. May Allah reward us all. I mean, but charity will never eradicate poverty. For example, giving charity to build shelters in the Muslim world in countries such as Syria, so that the oppressed Muslims have a roof over their head. But then bombs get dropped again and those shelters get destroyed. Another shelter is built again and, and bombs get dropped again. That's not fixing the problem. The problem in the first place is the bombs being dropped. Symptoms are the result of an initial problem of, uh, or disease. You wouldn't want a doctor fixing your symptoms. Rather, you'd want him to attack the root problem. The same way we need to fix the initial problem that our ummah is facing, which is the fact that there is no protection, there is no shield, there is no imam who they can stand behind, that there is no state to protect them. Jazakallah here to Brother Mutasim. Following on to, on that comment, um, it actually fits in quite nicely. Brother Jahid, he's asking, should we stop giving money to charity organizations as they don't solve the problem? Now, I just want to add on to that, if I may, Brother um, uh, Tayyab. In the UK alone, according to uh, the Charity Choice, which is a self-appointed uh, charity uh, directory, it estimates that there are 1,369 Islamic charities. And as Brother Mutasim has implied, that these charities who do this fix and building type of work, and you know, may Allah reward, reward them for, for their good. But you know, to me, it seems that they're, they're more of a hindrance when it comes to solving the problems of the Ummah. Instead of realigning the focus uh, of the Ummah to what is the correct solution, should should they be, you know, they're actually moving the ummah away, if anything. And they're not alone. Even, you know, the same can be said about our imams in our, in our masjids. Um, you know, at the first sign of a calamity, they direct the ummah towards dua and donating. And that's it. Um, what's your views on that? Okay, subhanAllah. Do not stop giving sadaqah. Do not stop giving zakah. Do it to the best of your ability. If you're not convinced with the charities, then simply look at people that you know personally amongst your family in Pakistan, abroad, some trusted people that you know in the community who can get the sadaqah and the zakat out for you, whether it's the fatarana or the annual zakat upon your uh, property, etc. With regards to the charities being, unfortunately, an obstacle Unfortunately, the Ummah sees this in her goodness as a good action. And the Ummah also has been, her understanding, her view of Islam has been narrowed to what the Christians and the Jews see in their religion, secularization. It's not difficult for us to convince the Ummah 
after the example that the brother gave about how charity doesn't solve the actual source of the problem. What would solve the source of the problem would be stopping your enemies, attacking your enemies, poisoning your enemies, taking control of your economy through these international institutions. You need for that a sincere khalifa, a shepherd, and only Islam can provide that, and it's made it obligatory upon the Muslims. So that conversation needs to take place. I know Muslims who work, get paid for charities, by charities. They agree about our uh, concept of working for the Islamic State and building a strong ummah. They just, it's just a, it's just a wage. It's a job. But they still believe that they are doing good. And there is goodness in this ummah. And we, inshallah, will support and help them as much as we can. As long as we believe that they are sincere to their charitable cause. But no, charities are not the solution to the sources of the Ummah's problem, and they can never be so. Yeah, I mean, you, you made a, a, a fantastic point, to be honest. If the Ummah didn't care or didn't, you know, um, care or think of themselves as being one, they wouldn't be donating, you know, 150 million pounds just in the Ramadan, just gone, you know, even though they, they lost their jobs and the businesses. So, Jazakallah, hate for that. Um, we have uh, Brother Abdullah. Uh, to eradicate poverty, there needs to be a change in the world order. There needs to be a shift with the distribution of wealth. This calamitous 1% that own half of the world's wealth from tax evasions, using the corrupt system to get to the top, stepping on the heads of factory workers in cramped conditions in Bangladeshi factories. The shift needs to be making the poor richer and the rich richer. Not the rich getting richer, whilst the poor fall into the traps of desire and become the slaves of such institutions. Is that here for that? Uh, Brother Sajjur Rahman, um, he's commented, capitalism has created nothing but chaos and destruction. The elite get richer while everyone else suffers. Islam came to distribute the wealth uh, pro- uh, properly in order to make sure that the society as a whole prospers. Islam came for the majority, not the minority. But capitalism came to the benefit uh, benefit the few over the majority. Uh, again, Jazakallah here for, for everyone uh, for commenting and uh, for asking questions. Um, we've got a question from Brother Jahid, again, who's asking maybe a different discussion, but in your talk you reference Pakistan and its capability of becoming the hope the Ummah needs. How is Pakistan able to become that hope when they are in billions of dollars worth of debt? And I just want to, again, I just want to expand on that actually, just want to pick on that. Um, I mean, you, you went into quite a bit of detail just about Pakistan, for example. You know, um, how about if we just put all, because I mean, majority of the Muslim countries, uh, Muslim rules, they've taken all these IMF loans from World Bank and so on and so forth. What's the potential there if, you know, if all the lands were to u- be utilized accordingly? Okay, alhamdulillah, that's a good question. Um, look, with regards to a sincere leader over the Muslims, he'll just simply default, default on the loans that the Muslims have taken, enriched in interest to suit the capitalists at the expense of the taxpayers in their own countries. So just default, not a problem. Brazil can do it. Greece can do it. The world came running to them. The Islamic Khilafah, the Khalifa will explain to the people, to the capitalists, this is what we lent, this is what we gave back. If we owe you anything, we've probably overpaid you. Khalas, finished. 
number one. Number two, look, I'll give you an example of Afghanistan. Just, just, just a, one country that unfortunately has been greatly let down by Pakistan. But still, the Afghanis, the people, the Muslims of Afghanistan, they are still willing to unify, even though a war, a great horrendous war, has been committed over them by the Pakistanis via the American channel, unfortunately. When I say the Pakistanis, I mean the leadership, I mean the current military rulers and the civilian rulers, starting with Musharraf. Afghanistan has an untapped potential of 36.6 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. That's Afghanistan, untapped. These are geological surveys by American companies. Afghanistan alone has 3.6 billion barrels of oil untapped. Afghanistan alone has 1.3 billion barrels of natural liquid gas today. Afghanistan has the biggest copper resource in the world. It's called the Anak copper mine. So that's just Afghanistan. That is Pakistan's strategic depth. Let's look at Pakistan. It's got the world's biggest coal field. 175 billion tons of coal. Enough to meet the energy needs of Pakistan for hundreds of years, not a few decades. So Pakistan's potential is immense. And look at it. Look at its throughways to, towards Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, the Soviet republics. Look at its, uh, its entry into the Arabian Sea. SubhanAllah, to the Karachi ports. Pakistan has massive potentials. Jazakallah here for that. Uh, I mean, um, we've not even mentioned uh, in detail about the, the, the oil fields in, in Saudi, Iraq, Libya. So Jazakallah here for that. Azubairi bin Farooq, another long comment. Uh, when the economy hits rock bottom, the capitalist governments have difficulty in managing the country. Strangely, the bankers are given charity from the taxpayer in the form of bonuses and the politicians have a pay rise, whilst public health care is deliberate. Uh, uh, deliberated and the elderly are confiscated of welfare to fund this corruption. Clearly the lives of the poor laymen paying taxes is negligible compared to the rich elite. Contrast this to the Amir Mu'minin Umar bin Khattab when the stomach of Umar bin Khattab rumbled from eating oil during the years year of famine he had forbidden himself dried bread and animal fat so he tapped on his stomach with his finger and said we have nothing else for you until the people have the means of living. Broken capitalism belongs in the bins of history and needs to be swiftly replaced by Islam. Jazakallah here for your talk, Dayyab Mukim. Jazakallah here for that, uh, Brother Zubair. Majid Razak, Jazakallah here for answering my question. Actually, you answered it much better than I imagined. The real burden of solving poverty is with the state. So Jazakallah here for that, uh, Brother Majid Razak. Um, we've got another question from Brother Jahid again. Uh, he's asking, as the world falls under collapse due to the resurgence of a new recession, unemployment and poverty will be rife. How would Islam solve this? That's a good question. There wouldn't be poverty and unemployment in Islam because of Islam. Yeah. There would be poverty and unemployment and destitution in Islam when the rulers and the leaders and the statesmen the, and the scholars and the political parties and the Muslim Shura 
don't give a damn about the people's affairs anymore. It's called maladministration of the Islamic Sharia rules. And it could happen anytime upon any Khalifa, subhanAllah. That's why we have political parties to account, the Madal Shura to account, the scholars to account, the statesmen to account, always thinking forward. You know, here we have global economists. Yeah, They give you like a, a foresight of the economy in the next five, ten years. That's exactly what the Khilafah will do, inshallah ta'ala, in case of an emergency from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a hurricane, a famine, mass destruction, issues that the Khalifa can only resolve by the emergency tax. And the emergency tax is allowed upon the Khalifa whenever he deems that a harm upon the Ummah needs to be resolved. And that harm could be in the form of a famine, the lack of uh, funds for jihad, impoverishment. The list goes on. He will apply his own ijtihad. But the emergency tax upon the wealthy who have the means to give from their surplus, they can even loan it to the Khalifa. But the Khalifa has the right to take it. MBS, the corrupt crown prince of Saudi, in a few weeks, he took $107 billion of a handful of wealthy businessmen. So the Khalifa has that as an injunction from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is his right, and he will consult the people around him. But again, I think it goes down to, I mean, you've you, you talked about the policies uh, and what, you know, what potential in terms of resources and what kind of money can be generated from the lands in, in, in the Muslim lands. But I think one thing we, if you can highlight, is more of the mindset. Whereas here, when we get paid, you know, the first thing that we check on a page, uh, on a wage slip, is how much tax we've been given, and we we feel really dejected. Whereas when we give zakat, for example, you know, very low level example, but when we give zakat, we make sure we give over that amount, you know, because we know that this is for the sake of Allah. So I think it's very important to actually have at the forefront the mindset that the Muslims would have instead of the Khalif imposing himself before he imposes himself. I think the, the Muslims would just come running to him before the doors are open and they would just lay, you know, lay down whatever they have for the Khalif. We saw that at the time of uh, Sultan Abdul Hamid II, when the Muslims in India, you know, they, they gave their jewelry. The women gave their bangles and the earrings and so on and so forth, and the men gave the money. What the little that they had to the Khalif, begging him that you know let the let the Khilafah stay, but take what we have. And these are from people who had nothing. So the ones who do have something, inshallah, you know, it's, again, it's a mindset created where you know the, uh, the 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 rich are there. They have a responsibility to look after the poor. Let me bring it home to you. This ummah. In the UK, she is willing to, above and beyond his zakat, to give hundreds, thousands of pounds more for causes they believe in, to do with sadaqah, any appeal during the month of Ramadan. That's beyond their zakat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put a limit on. Wallah, the ummah is generous, subhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. We're, we're, we're blessed to be part of Zuma. SubhanAllah. I bet you, Imran, I bet you, I mean, I don't want to expose your good deeds, but I bet you, you've given much more than what the stipulated amount from your Lord is. Not once, not twice, 
many times because I think that people like you, me, and our viewers, the 27 viewers, and the millions of people in Europe who are Muslims, and the multi-million of people in the Muslim world, they have the same attitude. Alhamdulillah. Allah, Allah bless us all for the little that we do for his sake. Tayyab uh, Abu Saif, it's a question. Today we see our countries going to the likes of the IMF and China for loans. This is the reality of global affairs. Muslim countries can barely look after their own citizens without loans. How can we overcome this great obstacle of not being able to deal with our own problems of poverty as nation states? Uh, I think you've kind of answered this, but again, yeah, I'll just quickly just give talk it a about brief the, overview. Yeah, the, the the devil's deception. Yeah, every time a loan is undertaken from the rulers in the Muslim world by the IMF or the developed countries in the West. It's never for the people's in, interests or the people's affairs or public utilities. It is specifically for their own corrupt backhanders. That's all it's about. And in, in, in return, like example of General Musharraf, they will privatize public schools, public facilities, uh, agriculture, the industry, they will sell off the steel. That's what the game is about. So these loans that they take with interest is just to fill their pockets. It's not for the Ummah's interests. Very, very true. Very true. I mean, no wonder they've got, you know, nicknames like Mr. 10%. <laughs> There's a report by non-Muslims that have said that the World Bank and the IMF don't have one proven... Uh, one proven uh, victory, success story, anywhere on the earth. Non-Muslims. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Um, Sister, she goes to She's commenting, I lived in Pakistan for 12 years and saw during the time of crisis that it was in fact the Ummah that helped the people and never the government. Subhanallah. This shows the Ummah is ready to help. She is just deprived of guidance. From a good ruler. Jazakallah here for that, Sister Shugufta. Uh, Sister Saleya, uh, she's uh, commented, like like has been mentioned many times, the Ummah is very, very generous when it comes to giving, but the downside is this may de desensitize us towards the plight of the Muslim Ummah in oppressed lands and can translate into action in terms of a real solution. In action, in action. In action, in terms okay. of a real solution. What are your thoughts, brother? This is true. Subhanallah, it is so true that once you've said I've done my I've done my bit, yeah. that's it. I'm backing off. I feel a little bit more self-assured, and you know what? It's good. I have that good feeling. Yeah. But really, the truth is this: that it's beyond, it's beyond one person and their charity. It's it's it's, it's a collective responsibility, and it's our responsibility to tell the ummah this. And some brother mentioned before in a statement that charity has been ongoing amongst this ummah in all of our lifetimes and before and for many centuries. It's not really resolved the core issues. We need the likes of Salahuddin Ibn Abiyubi, Umar Ibn al-Khattab, a sincere leader, a sincere ruler that takes the bull by the horns and resolves our actual issues. So that point is valid. Alhamdulillah, here for that. Sister, uh, inshallah, this will be the last comment uh, from Brother Fiaz. Uh, Salam, brothers. Uh, Jazakallah for the talk. Comment. Clearly, you have demonstrated that only Islam 
Further Khilafah can eradicate poverty. It's not good enough that this great Ummah sits on, on, the, on the deen which holds the key to liberate mankind. It's time for this great Ummah to work for Islam, work for Khilafah, liberate humanity. Uh, Jazakallah khair for that great comment, Brother Fiyaz. Um We will, inshallah, end uh, today's discussion. Uh, Jazakallah khair to everyone for tuning in to today's circle. Inshallah, the Friday circle continues next week at 8 p.m. online. Um, I ask from all of you to keep us all in your du'as, to keep the ummah in your du'as, to make du'a the oppression we as an ummah are under is lifted with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we are blessed with the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this earth in the form of the Islamic Khilafah. Um, we will end with the same video that will be uh, that was played at the start. I also want to thank Brother Tayyab for the great discussion. Jazakallah here, Brother Tayyab. And for, to all of you guys again for tuning in and taking part. Great comments, great questions. Uh, inshallah, we will see you next week. Jazakallah everyone. Akuli kauli haza. Wastak Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.